together. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Did have a nice time last week and uh, laughed a lot. And uh, Joey and Louise are terrible fishermen, but they're a lot of fun. Well, that's the truth. We did laugh a lot, and those guys, we did have a blast. But there are a lot of incidents. I won't share any of them. I've shared enough. But uh, it is good to be back. Uh, we've had a great summer, I think, here uh, at Bible Baptist Church. Uh, Wednesdays uh, have been something new for us. Heard great reports of how our seasoned godly ladies uh, taught and the impact of that. I was thankful for that. It was always good to hear our young men. Uh, it's good for you to hear them. It's good for them to get the opportunity to do that. I, I hope you never take for granted you know, that we have young men around here. Uh, a lot of churches, both conservative and contemporary and liberal, they, they don't have very many young men around. And certainly a uh, few young men who have any real spiritual interest. God has really blessed us here, and I hope you, you, you don't take that uh, for granted. Uh, tonight we sort of get back in, I guess, the groove uh, almost of our fall ministries fully next week, of course. And here in the auditorium we are uh, going back when I've taught on Wednesdays for a long time now. This is my 20th message. Uh, I've been teaching through the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians, as you've heard me say a lot of times right ne- uh, over the course of this, is a lot of Christians' favorite book. It is one of the easiest New Testament books to understand. It has a lot of practical uh, things in it, and so a lot of people really love the book. It was my old pastor's favorite book. And uh, when I spoke last on a Wednesday, uh, we talked about the recipe Paul gave the Philippian believers uh, to have God's peace in their life. Uh, Remember, a lot of God's promises are conditional promises. And so it's kind of like a recipe. God says, you do this, and then I will do that. And having God's peace is one of those recipes, a conditional promise. Now we know, of course, there'll be no external peace until Christ returns in power and glory and reigns and righteousness with a rod of iron. But in the meantime, though there's no external peace, God does give internal peace to His people. His recipe for internal peace, of course, we uh, learned was that we need to be careful for nothing, to not carry around cares that are linked to or weighted with things we can't control. And that if we want to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding, we also need to be prayerful about all things with thanksgiving. And God designed that recipe. If we would do that, then He would give us His peace. And we encourage one another to follow this recipe so we can live with and have the peace that only God can give. Life has inevitable challenges. It has difficulties. I I don't care how faithful, how godly you decide to live. You are going to face issues in your life. And uh, God's peace is a big deal uh, to have. But tonight, uh, we arrive at what I would consider to be an oft-ignored part of the Christian life. And though it is often ignored, 
it is essential for spiritual victory. Uh, I also personally believe that uh, our thought tonight is one of the keys to mental health and mental stability. Uh, People who fail in this aspect of of life, whether they're believers or or not, they will not have good mental health. Uh, They will not be stable people. Uh, Biblical churches rightly, uh, and Christians rightly, speak often about our heart. And heart, heart, of course, as the Bible uses that, is like the center, the foundation of our emotions, our personhood, who we are on the inside, what motivates us and and moves us. And biblical churches have rightly spoken a lot about that. Biblical churches have rightly spoken a lot about our behavior, the external parts of our life. And the external parts of our life as believing people either are a good reflection on Christ or they're a poor reflection on Christ. But biblical churches and Christians, for the most part, talk a lot less about our mind, about our thoughts and our thinking. Now, even though uh, the great command, the greatest commandment in the Bible, according to Jesus, is in part to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, we still don't talk about that much. We more talk about loving God with our emotions, our heart. And though most people in here realize, at least on a Wednesday night, realize that the real battlefield for your attitude and mine and your behavior and mine, we realize the real battlefield is our mind. Uh, But even though we know that, we often give too little thought to mental discipline, to where we allow our mind to wander and dwell. And so after reminding the Philippian believers about the recipe to have God's peace, the peace that passeth all understanding. Paul's going to go next to the minds of the Philippian believers. He knew that the battleground for their life was their mind, and so he's going to address their thoughts and thinking to try to help them. Now, some people consider it a victory to keep from doing all the bad things that come into their mind. Uh, That's a good thing to not do all the bad things coming to your mind. But the battlefield is not our behavior. Uh, Some consider it a victory to keep from saying all the bad things that come to their mind. Uh, That's a good idea too. But the battlefield is not our words. Do you know the more victories we get over the way we think, the more victories we'll get in every area of our life. Now, you, you may not agree with this, But I personally believe tonight's thought is one of the most helpful, practical thoughts that you can apply to your Christian life. I have not, I I mean, many, many decades, I have never prayed for for, to preach a great message. I mean, I I can't even, if I ever did, I don't remember. It's that long ago. Uh, My goal is to preach great truths so that you understand them and are helped by them. And I believe tonight's thought, if you will take this on, it'll help your attitude and it'll help your mental health. Uh, There's kind of a mental health crisis in our country. And in a lot of ways, that's not a lot better in our churches. This will help you if 
you take it to heart and mind. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of uh, God's Word, the title of my thought is just keeping our minds on the right things. Keeping our minds on the right things. Philippians 4, verse 8, this is where we left off weeks and weeks ago. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Thank you, you might be seated. See, Paul earlier thought he was going to wrap this letter up, and so in chapter 3, in verse 1, he said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And he thought he was done back then. But the Spirit of God continued to move him uh, to write uh, because uh, the Spirit of God had more to say through Paul to these believers. But now when he gets to finally in chapter 4 in verse 8, this is for real. He's finally going to close out this letter written from jail in Rome to probably the dearest group of Christian people, the dearest assembly of God, the dearest body of Christ to him, the people there in the church in Philippi. And so he begins to wind down his letter dealing directly with their minds. He exhorted them to think on the right things. Uh, Let's read it again. Uh, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now in contrast to many ignoring what enters their mind and what they allow their mind to dwell on, Paul exhorts them to think about the right kinds of things. Listen, we all battle sinful thoughts, inaccurate thoughts, and unhealthy thoughts. We all battle them. You see, the wrong things enter our minds for a multitude of reasons. First reason wrong thoughts enter our mind is our fallen nature. Without the influence of Satan or any fallen spirit loyal to him, our minds just naturally go to the worst scenario. If the doctor suggests our problem might be one of three things, and one of those three things is cancer, our mind immediately goes to that worst-carried scenario, and apart from our mental discipline, dwells there and takes our mind right down the gutter. If we heard that someone said something bad about us, our mind immediately goes to their faults. Uh, It immediately goes to their right to criticize us. It immediately goes to what we should say to them uh, about what they said or allegedly said in response. Have you ever noticed our mind rarely first goes to maybe they didn't really say that? Our mind rarely first goes to maybe they didn't really mean that the way I'm taking it. Our mind rarely first goes to maybe I should just chill down because I've said bad, dumb things about people before. You see, our minds are terrible enemies. And until you and I recognize that, we're going to lose a lot of battles in life. 
You see, without the influence of Satan, we can plunge ourselves into deep depression, dwelling on negative things, and strongly resist anyone or anything that might try to pull us out of that spiral downward. It's a terrible battle in our mind. Without the influence of Satan, we can plunge ourselves into deep valleys of worry and anxiety and strongly resist anyone or anything that might try to get us out to stop us from worrying, to stop us from dwelling on worst-case scenarios. Without the influence of Satan, we can plunge ourselves into valleys controlled by hurtful and foolish lusts, covetousness, greed, our desire to be accepted by our peers. Our fallen nature deeply affects our thinking. Without Satan's influence, we can become totally disgusted with our own appearance, with our own human failures, totally disgusted with the sins that we failed to defeat despite attempts over the years to put that sin away. Everyone here should be honest enough to admit that your own mind is a terrible enemy and that even without the influence of Satan, your mind can go and stay in some dark places. But it's not just that we have bad thoughts because of our fallen nature, we wrong things enter our mind uh, because of our spiritual adversary. Keep your hand there, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The bad thing of it is, is that some people here tonight, you're going to just blow off this whole thought as if I'm just up here blowing smoke or just preaching. When really, in reality, what we're going to talk about tonight would be the, one of the, the most helpful, practical things you can do for yourself. Again, we talk too little about mental discipline. Notice in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, says in whom, or verse 3, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice it's not our just fallen nature. Satan can blind the minds here, blind the minds of those who are lost to the light of the gospel. Have you ever wondered how some people just can't seem to see some of the things that are so clear to us as followers of Jesus? Satan has blinded their mind. But by the way, thankfully the Holy Ghost lights every man that comes in the world at some point. Our weapon against Satan blinding the minds of people uh, in our world and people who are dear to us is prayer. Because God can lift the veil from their mind. But it isn't just that Satan affects the minds of those who don't believe. Turn up a few pages to chapter 11. He's going to link what Satan did in the Garden of Eden to Eve to something that happens to us as believers today. Notice in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, it says, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve, through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Notice Satan deceived Eve and our minds 
through Satan's influence, can be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I mean, salvation is a simple thing for mankind. Now, cost Christ everything to make salvation easy for us, but mankind, as moved by Satan, has corrupted that simplicity into making salvation complicated and filled with religious rituals and works of all sorts. In fact, the key doctrines of the Scripture and basics of the Christian life, they're simple. They're not hard to understand. Now, they may be hard to apply. They're not hard to understand. And and Satan corrupts our mind as believers from the simplicity and the key things that are in the Bible. Listen, if he can get you chasing revelation and then you don't care about your marriage, he will have won. If he can get you chasing the ten toes on Nebuchadnezzar's image that are mixture of miry clay and iron instead of you parenting your children, he will have won. He corrupts believing people. He corrupts their minds from the simplicity that's in Christ. You see, Satan and our flesh pull in the same direction to corrupt the mind of believers and unbelievers because our adversary knows that if our thinking is messed up, that every other aspect of our life will be messed up. Our attitude will be wrong. Our behavior will be bad. Our belief system will be bad if our thinking is wrong. Everybody here needs to be self-aware enough to understand that a kind of adversary our mind can be as it teams up with our flesh to corrupt our thoughts and thinking. But it's not even just our flesh and our spiritual adversary who seek to corrupt our thinking. Go back in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Our thinking is corrupted by our own fallen nature. Our thinking is corrupted by Satan and spirits loyal to him. Our our thinking is corrupted by processes God designed in life. Did you know there are things you can choose, and it is a process God designs. You choose this, and your mind will become corrupted. Romans chapter 1, verse 28 says, says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. If we were to study that chapter, we would find that there's a progression of when man chooses idolatry over God, uh, that process begins to corrupt mankind's thinking and God gives man over to his own fallen ways. And when man then takes that next step and makes unnatural choices, God, again, through a process He designed, causes their mind to go further and further away until eventually that process produces a reprobate mind in people. Reprobate means worthless or cast away or rejected. You see, anyone who openly and continues to reject Jehovah, to trust man and their own flesh, eventually will have God stop restraining some of their stupid ideas and stop restraining some of their perverted affections. 
Have you ever wondered how people can be adamant about killing babies in their own mother's womb until the time of birth? I mean, think about that. That's a reprobate mind. People who believe they can pick their gender despite the obvious scientific differences in chromosomes. That's a reprobate mind. People with such disregard for life, and recently I just saw these videos, somebody mugging a guy in a wheelchair on the New York City subway and, and somebody beating down an old lady. You say, How, how's that happen? A reprobate mind. Because someone takes these steps purposely away from their creator and purposely away from their conscience and purposely away from the things that God designed to restrain mankind so that in the end, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. People who can order or take part in burning human beings in ovens to harvest their fillings. You could look at atrocities in history that would just make you shake your head and, and you could wonder how, how can someone come up with that idea? How can someone carry that out? I'll tell you how. A reprobate mind. The ultimate end of a human being just saying, uh, Jehovah, I will not listen to you. Conscience, I will not listen to you. I am going to do the opposite in that process. Produces corrupted thinking. By the way, I have never yet dealt with anybody who smoked weed or did drugs who hadn't corrupted their mind. I mean, their thinking, when you sit there and try to reason with them about life, you think to yourself, what happened to your mind? That's what I'm talking about. See, the battle that rages in every human mind is, has a series of opponents who are fighting for control of our thinking. Now, you and I might not have been able to put our finger on the reasons, but we're all familiar with the corruption of the human mind. We're familiar with it because of our own struggles, our own ongoing battles with lusts, depression, anxiety, greed, worry, bitterness, selfishness. We, we understand those battles in our mind. Now, probably no one in here is inclined to all of those, but everybody in here is inclined to at least one of those. We're familiar with it not because of our own battle. We're familiar with it because people close to us who seem to just have blinded minds to what they're doing to themselves, to what they're doing to the people around them. And thankfully, believers in Christ are not alone in this mental battle. God gave us some tools for victory. Amen. And though it isn't our, directly our subject tonight, by virtue of the Spirit of God living in us and as believers, uh, we're described in 1 Corinthians 2.16 as having the mind of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers in 2 Timothy 1.7, we have a sound mind available to us. And I don't know what you pray for regularly, but one of the things I regularly pray for is that my thinking would be dominated by a sound mind. 
by the mind of Christ. You say, why? Because the battle for dominance in my mind is just like the battle for dominance in your mind. The the issues may be different, but the mental battle is the same. And, And if my thinking is any better than yours, it has nothing to do with my position. It is simply, and I said if, it's better, because I don't know what's in your mind. I know what comes out of people's mouths. And my Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so I got a pretty good suspicion that everybody here, maybe the issues are different, but you got the same battle for what's going to dominate your mind that I have. And if I get any more victories than anyone else at all, it's simply because of the Spirit of God living in me and the fact that I pray, on, pray over and take on this battle in my mind. Which brings up a good question, how can I have more victories in my mind? M- more victories over wrong thinking. How can I have better mental health? Listen, our world right now is dominated by bad mental health. And the world's answer always first to mental health problems is drugs. And I don't debate that there are occasions when someone does need that help. What I strongly object to is that being the first line of defense for a Christian person. How can I have more victories in my mind? Go back to Philippians chapter 4. Say, Brother Walla, do you always get victory in your mind? Nope. But I get more today than I used to get. I can't tell you how to get complete victory. Uh, Yeah, I can. Christ returns and gives us a body like His body. Until then, I can't tell you how to get complete victory. But I can tell you how to stay in the battle and, and do better. Here's number one. Guard and bolster your mind and thinking by purposely choosing to think on the right things. Purposely choosing to think on the right things. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, Think on these things. I've got that little phrase highlighted in my Bible. Think on these things. Now, I never really realized it before until I was preparing for this message, but Paul deals with the mind of the Philippian believers quite a lot in this short book. Notice in chapter 1 and verse 27, He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, he wanted them to be one mind as a church as they battled the world for the faith. 
You see, they were supposed to be in one mind so they could be fighting the world instead of fighting each other. Uh, look at chapter 2 and verse 2. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He wanted them one mind as they served together in the Lord's work. Listen, we don't need to think alike about everything. But there are some things we're supposed to be in one mind about. Uh, you may remember two women in the church who are infamous now that Paul called out for the way they handled themselves. Chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, I beseech Eudias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. What a terrible thing to not be getting along in the church. And then to have that season when they couldn't get along be the season when the Spirit of God moved Paul to write to them. And now these women go down in infamy. I wonder whose name would be on the list if we got a letter tonight. By, by the way, you know who it is you don't get along with here and you know why. And I suspect you don't have as good a reason as you think you have. I'd hate to be Syntyche or Eudias. Paul wanted them to be humble-minded. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but with lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And because the Spirit lived in them, they needed to just simply let the mind of Christ and His humility be in them. In chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, they had potential for a humble mind. They had potential for right thinking. They had potential to be of one mind. They had potential to be like-minded. But they had to choose to think that way. And so to help them, Paul lists eight positive things on which victorious believers need to focus their mind. And I hope you've matured enough as a human being as a Christian, to recognize how easily and quickly our minds go from these things to something other than these things. And the battlefield for our attitude and our words, our behaviors, our mind. You may not like this, but I, I don't doubt there's an occasional physical or chemical reason for depression. But I believe most depression would either go away or be greatly reduced if believers made their mind focus on these things instead of negative things. I don't personally doubt there is occasionally a chemical reason for anxiety. But most anxiety and worry would either go away or be greatly reduced if believers made their mind focus on these things instead of worst-case scenarios. And you might not want to hear this, but many of the problems you have are in some way linked to wrong thinking and to you choosing to harbor the wrong kinds of thoughts in your mind instead of recognizing something to be a wrong thought and boot it out of your mind. That's mental discipline. You take the thoughts that come into your mind, you have very little control over what comes in there. 
But you and I have a lot of control of what we let build a nest up there. And a lot of our mental problems and anxieties and worries and depressions and issues we have in life, they would go away if we would catch our wrong thinking and boot that wrong thought out and immediately go to God with that thinking and fix our mind. So now if the issue were lust, everybody would understand we get it on that issue. I have no business harboring a lustful thought for anyone other than my wife. We get it, and, and if you have any spirituality at all, you recognize that when that happens to you, and you get that thought out of your mind, and you know it doesn't belong there. But here's the problem. We don't do that on most other issues. And so Paul, he's going to address this issue of believers thinking in, an er in areas that go beyond this basic area of our wrong desires. Failing to build mental discipline to dwell on these things, these thoughts, is the biggest reason for most people's problems. It's the biggest reason for your bad attitude. It's the biggest reason for most people's inability to fall asleep. It's the biggest reason that people all over this room, you think about yourself and you think nothing good whatsoever. And you let that dwell in your mind. And the older I get, and I'm getting old, the more I realize how important mental discipline is to mental health, to spiritual health, to our attitude in life, to purposely choosing to only allow our mind to dwell on these things. Listen, if you hear this lesson tonight, don't think that you're going to, oh, okay, well, now I, now I understand what the problem is. I'm, I'm going to be fixed tomorrow. No. This is not the battle of a day. This isn't really the battle of a month. This is the battle of many months and many years and occasionally the battle of a lifetime. But God has given us a way to win this battle. Now we could spend certainly at least a week in each of these things carefully defining them carefully discussing where they can be found and where they're contradicted. But, but I'm going through the book of Philippians. And so that's not really my purpose. And so I really, on these eight, I'm only going to talk about three. And I'm going to begin with the first one in verse eight. Uh, back in chapter four. By the way, this is a hard verse to memorize. <clears throat> It might not help you, but I think of Thajplog. T-H-J-P-L-G. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. And then I got enough mental acuity to get the last ones, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. But by the way, this is a good Bible verse to memorize. It's tough, though. 
First, think on things that are true. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Let your mind dwell only on true things. You know, one of the biggest problems we have is we let our mind dwell on things that are not true. And Paul starts there. Our minds dwell on accusations and comments made about us. We know they're not true. Our minds dwell on and fester in views of ourselves and our situations that aren't true. Our minds dwell and fester in wrong views of God and life and other people. So the first place to start when it becomes to mental discipline and right thinking is to only allow true things to linger in your mind. Whenever you catch thinking that is not true, immediately, by the grace of God, in the name of Jesus, get rid of it. Of course, the only... Uh, by the way, do you make diligent effort to purge and get rid of thoughts that are not true? Of course, only the Bible is 100% true, and so it's no surprise that we're taught repeatedly to meditate on God's Word and hide God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against God. But hear me when I say this. When your mind begins to dwell on things like you are a piece of garbage or worthless or your life doesn't matter, you need to put those thoughts out of your mind immediately. Immediately. They're not true. They're not true. You have great value to God. God loves you. You're breathing. God has a purpose for your life. There are people who value you. There's somebody who needs what you have to offer. And when you dwell on thoughts contrary to that truth, you're going to go down a dark hole. It's not true that God abandoned you because you failed Him. It's not true God doesn't love you because you're not as good as such and so. It's not true that you don't belong in the church. Well, when those thoughts come in your mind, you need to have the mental, mental discipline and the spiritual maturity to say, that's a lie, get out of there. Listen, God never forsakes anyone who belongs to Him. God doesn't love any of us because of how we compare to someone else. God loves all of us because God is love. And discarding thoughts we're tempted to dwell on that are not true would greatly help every person here. Choosing to actively think on things that are true would help every person here. Let me ask you, are you allowing anything that's not true to dominate your thinking? Are you purposely filling your mind and allowing yourself only to think true things. If you do, it'll make a difference. The second one I want to just point out is the third one there. It says, what sort of things are, what sort of things are just? Think on things that are just. Only let your mind dwell on just things. You know, one of the things our mind is very inclined toward is vengeance. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know vengeance belongs only to God. And it's very easy when we've been wronged or think we've been wronged or think our children or someone close to us has been wronged to just constantly have these thoughts of vengeance in our mind. And you can lie to yourself and say, oh, not me. Or you can call it something else, but you're never going to get victory until you call it what it is. It's an unjust thought. Listen, it is God's job in most cases to bring justice against an offender. 
And in other cases, it's the government's job or some authority's job to bring justice. Almost never is it our job to bring justice, and it is never our job to bring vengeance. Fewer things corrupt mental health more than allowing your mind to harbor thoughts of vengeance towards someone you should forgive for Christ's sake. And if you're such a spiritual pygmy that you justify that by saying, well, they didn't ask me for forgiveness, you, 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 you will just go ahead, corrupt your mind. They didn't ask me for forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Uh, listen, by the way, nobody deserves forgiveness. And you don't forgive because anyone deserves it or ask. You're supposed to forgive for Christ's sake. That's how you set your mind free. I mean, all over this room, whether it was something that happened in your home growing up, something that a spouse did to you, something a friend did to you, something that happened in a church, and you just have that rolling around in your mind over and over and over again. You're corrupting your mind and your thinking. You're hurting yourself. Think just thoughts. And to choose to dwell on them will help every person there. Every person who does that. And then lastly, whatsoever things are pure. Only let your mind dwell on pure things. Now the natural impurity of our minds is fueled in most cases by the kind of entertainment we choose. Any man or woman who underestimates the darkness of their own fallen nature who chooses to play with impurity will inevitably make moral decisions that hurt them and those close to them. Hear me when I say there's no such thing as harmlessly watching pornography. There's no such thing as harmlessly watching sex scenes that are close to pornographic. Harmlessly listening to secular music filled with moral impurity of all sorts. You, 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 you think you do that and you think it doesn't impact you. I'm telling you, it impacts your thinking. In contrast to the impurity of our culture and American entertainment today, we're told to think on pure things. What that simply means is that whenever we have an impure thought, instead of harboring it, we get rid of it. God, I'm sorry I had that thought. God, I even harbored that for a few seconds. God, I'm sorry. God, help my mind to be pure. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to You. I don't want that in my mind. You see, that kind of mental discipline in all these areas that Paul talks about, it is a key to your mental health. All over this room are people, you are just somebody who is taken over with anxiety and taken over with worry and taken over with depression. I don't deny that those things are real. What I'm simply saying to you is that you are making those things much worse because you do not do this in your mind like we've been taught. And I plead with you in Christ's stead, think on these things.
This is a recipe for mental health. Mental discipline to purposely discard wrong thoughts and purposely let your mind dwell on these things. Listen, everybody here knows what it's like to have your mind go south on your spouse. And you don't like something they did and all of a sudden and your mind just takes off with what they're doing and what they're saying and what you're going to say back to them. That's what this is talking about. Catch yourself. So now that doesn't belong in my mind. My wife is a good woman. My wife is a good intentioned woman. My wife believes and loves the Lord. My wife believes and loves me. My wife loves our kids. And if I dwell on that, then all the other stuff goes away. This ain't a great message, but it is a great thought for helping us practically live a better life for Christ. Amen? If you bow your head and close your eyes.